Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Ann Dolman has lifelong roots in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. She started out as a newspaper reporter slash photographer and later taught middle and high school English, journalism, and reading. Fifteen of those years on the Hannaville Indian Reservation in Wilson, Michigan. She holds an undergraduate degree in journalism education from the University of Wisconsin and a master's degree from Viterbo University. A freelance writer, she is now writing her third caddy novel. Anne served as writer-in-residence at Wild Acres Retreat Center in North Carolina and was awarded scholarships to study writing with author Susan Power, Split Rock Arts Institute, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Highlights Foundation Sessions in Honesville, Pennsylvania. Her middle-grade novel, Caddy and the Bear Necklace, a UP notable book, received Historical Society of Michigan State History Award, Midwest Book Award, New Mexico-Arizona Book Award, and was Next Generation Indie Book Award finalist. The second book in the series, Caddy and the Birchbark Box, is also a UP notable book and received the Historical Society of Michigan State History Award. All right, it's uh, 7.01 and we will get underway. My name is Victor Wolfman and I am the president of the Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association. Normally we have uh, Evelyn Gathu as our host, but she is on the road returning from halfway between Sault Ste. Marie and uh, Crystal Falls, but uh, the Crystal Falls District Community Library is the co-sponsor of tonight's presentation. And we are very happy to uh, have on board uh, once again, and Dalman, this time for the, uh, the second in the Katie Whirlwind Thunder series, Katie and the Birch Bark Box. Uh, we'll get to Anne in, in just a moment after my uh, obligatory commercial for the Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association. Uh, there's exactly two months left before the deadline for the UP Reader, which I'm holding in my hands, and you can contribute your short story, your personal memoir, your poetry, your opinion piece, anything that you would like. The only requirement is that you join uh, UPPA, -A, uh, and as part of your membership, you get the ability to submit your stories to the UP Reader, and this will be our eighth annual edition coming out in April of 2024. It's hard to believe that much time has gone by, but that seems like it's the case. Well, we really hope if you're not a member, you'll consider joining and submitting your work. All right, uh, welcome, Anne, and uh, we'll let you uh, kick things off. Tell us a little bit about the book and, and the series itself, and anything you'd like people to know. Okay. Um, Caddy and the Birchbark Box is the second, as Victor said, in the series. The first was uh, Caddy and the Bear Necklace, and I'm wearing the necklace from that was the inspiration for that book. Um, I had a very good friend when I taught on the Hannibal Indian Reservation in Wilson, Michigan for 15 years, and she was a member of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa and the matriarch of her family. And she's the one who taught me about birch bark. And she gave me this beautiful, I don't know if you can see it. It's a birch bark kind of container with um, sweet grass holding the panels together and then little acorns dangling from around the different sides. Um, she learned how to make this from her grandmother who was on Beaver Island. And her grandmother actually made this particular basket, the size of this acorn. And those earrings um, are now in a museum somewhere. Um, my friend died, crossed over three years ago. Um, but I keep this out and look at it every day and think of her and think of all the wisdom she passed on to me. And she was one of the people on the Hannaville Res who told me, um, when you write, write about the happier things, write about the good side of reservation life, not the the downside, you know, because there are some really wonderful things. Um, and one of them is the storytelling and humor. And I hope that I got that across in my books. When I talked to Evelyn, she suggested I read 
a section. So I'm just going to read a very short um, two and a half pages to you called Wigwas or Birch Bark. I was sitting cross-legged on my bed that evening when dad knocked on the door and asked if he could come in. What have you got there? He asked. I showed him the birch bark box with its decorated quill work. I held the little journal in the palm of my hand. Hmm, dad hummed. Birch bark is pretty interesting stuff. Legends tell us if you want to preserve something, you should wrap it in birch bark and it won't decay. And if you look closely, you'll see the little marks on the birch bark look like little thunderbirds. Your little book was wrapped inside a birch bark box, so it stayed in fairly good condition. Birch has quite a few medicinal uses. Did you know birch is a natural pain reliever because it contains, oh, I can't pronounce this, salicylate, which is the compound found in aspirin? It can help with treating inflammation, pain, and fever. It can be used to make tea to help with the pain of so many illnesses and, Dad, thanks, that's enough for now. It's great you think the marks on birch bark look like little thunderbirds and that birch can be used in medicine. What I want to know is why this box and journal were buried in old Joe's backyard. Can you give me an answer? No, Caddy, I can't. I've told you before and your grandma has told you this is your mystery to solve. It's time for lights out. Tomorrow is a school day. I woke up thinking about something I heard a girl in my culture class say to one of her friends. The teacher had asked her the meaning of the word Odan. She told him she didn't know it before adding, I'm better on a different day. That's fine. That's okay. Remember, I expect you to be better when you come to my class. I expect you to be prepared because you've made some effort to study. Got it? Iris railed back at her. The girl looked at Iris and shook her head as if to say, okay. It was up to each of us to show up prepared and to make some effort. I'd always liked to sketch and kept my combination of sketchbook journal in my backpack. I took it everywhere with me. I grabbed it from my backpack and started writing down what I'd learned in the past few days. Maybe writing it down would help me learn more, and at the very least, it would calm me down. I was trying to unravel this mystery. I could hear my dad telling me, Well, Caddy, trying is not doing. Do your best, girl. Do your best and get going. I picked up my favorite ballpoint pen, the one with a flower on top that lights up when I write, and started making notes. What did I know so far about the mysterious birch bark box and journal? John Ray, Irish, and I had gone to an abandoned house that belonged to John Ray's family. We dug in the backyard where we found this mysterious birch bark box containing a journal. Box and journal were decorated with a beautiful quillwork design. This same design appeared on my grandma's apron and I'd also seen it at John Ray's grandma's house. When I asked both grandmothers about the design, they changed the subject. Why was this so mysterious? My dad had taught me a little about birch bark and quill work and encouraged me to learn more about them and about shipwrecks. I asked myself how this design related to a shipwreck and how was all of this related to John Ray's grandpa and his half-brother, Old Joe? Wait a minute. If John Ray's grandpa was Old Joe's half-brother, then Old Joe's twin brother, Abe, was also a half-brother to John Ray's grandpa. Wow, I guess writing things down did help. I opened the little journal once again. Abe had made entries for five voyages before his last one. He'd noted the name of the ship, the date they left, their point of departure and arrival time. He described what they were carrying and how much it weighed. I rubbed my finger over the journal and noticed a small slip of paper hidden underneath its cover. Gently, I pulled it out. And as I did, I heard that blue jay making a ruckus on the windowsill. Click, 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 went his beak against the glass as if he was tapping out, read, read, read. Distracted, I accidentally dropped the piece of paper. It landed on the little table where I'd set a cup of ginger tea. Some of the tea had spilled onto the tabletop where it was wet enough to dampen the paper. Luckily, the moisture didn't ruin the words written on it, which read, the ink is there, but you must stare. The ink is blue if you are true. What did those words mean? Was it a poem or another puzzle to answer on the way to solving the mystery of the birch bark box and its journal? 
I was being true to my gift, solving mysteries. Would that help me solve the meaning of the quill work box and its journal? I could almost hear Grandma answering, no more excuses, apply yourself, girl. So that was um, probably about the middle section of the book where Caddy uh, is starting to really delve into the mystery uh, behind the birch bark box and the little journal it contained. And the story really centers around a shipwreck. And part of the fun, I think, or the enjoyable part of writing is doing the research. And if you ever get a chance to go to Manitowoc, Wisconsin, they have an amazing museum there um, of shipping and boats and they have a World War II submarine you can go on and and uh, walk around. Uh, and this is, I don't know if you could see it, but it's a... Yeah, that looks good. Okay, it's uh, an archival print uh, showing a steamer uh, winter layup um, at the north bank of the Manitowoc River. The river is frozen and people are skating on the ice. And I, I don't know, for me personally, it's kind of fun to find a, a photo that dates back to the time you're writing and uh, it kind of inspires me and puts me in the mood. And that shipwreck that I wrote about, the Rouse Simmons, um, there have been a couple books written about it. Uh, this is one, the historic Christmas tree ship, which was a great source of information. And then a children's book, the Christmas tree ship. So this was some of my research for the book. The other was I was lucky enough to have a very dear friend who was um, a merchant seaman and sailed the Great Lakes for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And uh, he basically gave me a lot of information and he vetted what I wrote and made sure it was accurate from the um, from somebody on the shipboard's point of view. Uh, and then surprisingly at a book signing, we had an author's fair here in Menominee. Uh, it was in July and a woman came up to me, very nice woman. She bought both books and she gave me this book called um, Ghosts of the Shipwreck Coast. And she was very indignant because she couldn't find out any information about the um, Delphine Marie, which was a book I'd written or a shipwreck I'd written about in the book. And I said, that's because it's fiction. And that one was one I made up, whereas the Ralph Simmons is true. It's it's factual. And the name Delphine Marie was the name of my uh, great-grandmother, as far as we can find out. So that was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, Evelyn had asked me to answer the question, what is it like writing a series? And boy, that's kind of a tough question. But the first thing that came to mind was you really get to know your characters. And with the second book, the characters became more comfortable to me. And I finished a working draft. I think I've gone through it twice now of the third one. And they start to feel like family and you become very protective of your characters. Um, you want to nurture them, but yet, I don't know, they kind of take over the story. And I was telling a friend of mine um, that when I, when I, I would feel like Caddy was inhabiting my body and telling me what to say and what to write. And it would come out with kind of fractured grammar and run on sentences and I, as a former English teacher for many years, I said, I don't know why I'm doing this. And she's a fifth grade teacher. And she said, well, it's because you're writing in her voice. And that's been something kind of amazing. And then you go back and clean it up. But I write best when I feel as if she is telling her story through me and I'm only typing it. And, um, she has an interesting life. She has a challenging life. And, you know, it's, I want to make her show some growth 
and some maturity as she gets older, but yet she's still a kid. She's only 13, almost 14. And she's going through some confusing uh, experiences in her life, but she has her grandmother. And her grandmother is that source of wisdom and maturity and just love. She's always there for Caddy and teaches her uh, things about her culture, things about life, things about being a young girl. And Caddy trusts her and loves her and is frustrated that they've moved from Minnesota to Michigan and she's not as close physically to her as she as she had been. Um, and if any of you have grandchildren, you know that special feeling you get toward those those little guys. Um, Caddy struggles with the fact that her mother disappeared from her life when she was six or seven. She was just a young little girl. Nobody ever really told her why her mother was gone. And I get more into that in the third book because she's at the age where there are women's teachings she should be learning. And she wants her mother to be the one to teach her those things, but her mother is just not there. Um, and with a 26, 27 year old stepmother who's not real well versed in the culture, she's not comfortable learning those things from her. If Francine was even in a position to teach them to her. So that's a source of conflict in the third, in the third book. Um, she's become more comfortable at her school. She still has this crush on Jean Ray. He is off again to the Dakotas, training with the elders, learning things. Um, because as an elder once told me, um, we taught a course in Native, Native American literature together. He was a school language teacher. He said, our elders are our books. So you would learn things from the elders because it is an oral tradition. Things aren't necessarily written down and some things aren't meant to be written down. They're meant to be, you know, transferred that way. Um, so that's uh, pretty much where the third one is going. She's going to be exploring different parts of the state with her grandmother and exploring different parts of her family background and her culture and trying to figure out um, what happened to her mother. Um, and in the back of my mind all the time, I'm thinking about this whole issue of um, missing indigenous women because I found out that a couple of my students, former students are now in that group and it's really upsetting. It's sad um, that that has happened to them. Um, when I taught in Hanneville, and I'm assuming it's the same way now, we had a very small high school. School was K to 12, approximately 182, 170 students, it varied. Um, I taught high school English grades seven through 12. Um, and you'd get very close to your students because you would have them year after year after year. And you could see their, their, you know, their progression. And I loved teaching there because I got to teach the way I wanted to. I didn't have somebody saying, okay, you have to do pages, this and this and this today. If I had a group that was struggling with vocabulary, and a lot of them were, um, I could spend time on vocabulary more so than maybe a mandated curriculum would dictate. And I think that's why I get into vocabulary in the book, both um, English and Potawatomi. Uh, at that time, when I taught there, we had to have the Potawatomi words printed out and put up on different parts of the classroom, on cupboards, on the door, etc and integrate the language as much as we could. So I did want to say I, I really a shout out to Victor and Joanna. I really like the um, the illustrations that Joanna did for this second book. And they're also on the Amazon posting. Um, I think she's extremely talented. I love the one of the bird on the basketball net. Yeah. That's really, she really captured his feistiness because he follows Caddy around and she gets a little irritated because that 
darn Blue Jay is always there getting into uh getting into her business and keeping her keeping her going. And uh it was really fun to see her take my words and put them into picture form. Um here's another one of the Blue Jay. Um I don't know if you've ever had an artist. Um it's it's a real gift. It's a generous gift from Victor to have an artist put my words into pictures and see see them come to life. And also I want to shout out to Brandy for doing the audio and thank her for doing the audio versions of both both books. Um let's see. One more thing. This is something I found today because I like to bring show and tell things into when I'm talking. This was um, something that one of my students did and it was a purse. You've probably seen these. I got this at a rummage sale for a dollar brand, you know, it's brand new and she painted it. And I think it's, it's just, beautiful. and that might show up in this next book. Um, grandma might be carrying a, a purse like this, but um, the influence of native art in our lives is there. I mean, I've looked at purses like this since I was a little girl and I never noticed, you know, and it's very much a Great Lakes Ojibwa Potawatomi Odawa design with the floral uh, motifs and the flowing leaves. And I think she just did a splendid job. So um, that's, are there any questions? I'll take a little break here before I go on. Uh, Debbie's got her hand up. Go ahead, Deb. Yes, I'd like to know in 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 the course of the uh, your series, is it the type of series that readers should start with the first one and read them chronologically, or does it not really matter? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't, you know. Um, it's kind of a thrill to hear you say series when there's two, and I'm working on number three. I never... <laughs> You know, I'm a former journalism teacher and journalist reporter. So the fact that I, I wrote these still kind of amazes me. Um, but no, um, they are standalone. And like any series, I think you get, if you would start with the first one, it might help a little bit with a second, but you don't have to. It's not necessary. Okay. The reason I ask is that, uh, you know, sometimes, especially when I'm representing your books, um, I like to be able to say that to bookstore owners, like, no, it doesn't matter if you read them in order or not. No, it, they're standalone. And thank you for doing that, by the way. You're yeah. a great salesperson. I really, really appreciate that. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I have a, a very old car, so I don't get out on the road. <clears throat> some people. And when I was teaching on the reservation, I would put on 20,000 miles a year because I'd be on the highway by 530, 20 to 6 to drive up there. And then teach all day and drive back because you can't live on the reservation if you're not a tribal member or married to a tribal member. And um, it was in a different time zone too, which didn't help going from central to eastern every day. We call that going through the bubble. <laughs> we we'd go up 41 and then about 50 miles, and then you'd turn at Hannaville B1 Road and go in three miles. And one of the uh, teachers used to say, Yep. Then we'd go through the bubble. So, so many. I have a question if if you can hear me. I sorry, I had I was eating my dinner. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I noticed there was one person who was like part Potawatomi and part Ojibwe, mm -hmm. and she said she was the perfect potato chip. Yeah, and that kind of tickled my fancy, and I wondered if it was an actual term that people use. I heard it from my students. Uh huh. They would tell me every now and then. One of them would say, "Well, I'm a potato, you know, I'm a potato chip," and I'd look like, "What?" I said, "Yeah, half Potawatomi, half Chippewa." Yeah. Well, oh. the chip was easy. <laughs> the chip yeah. was easy to recognize because both my kids went to CMU, so yeah. they yeah. were Chippewa. <laughs> A lot of the stuff I kept notes when I was teaching. So you know, a lot of this is authentic to my particular classroom. I won't say it's authentic to all tribes or 
you know, that kind of thing. But it would be authentic to the kids I had. And they came from all over. We had, um, it was an open door school. So we had Potawatomi students, we had Chippewa, we had Odawa, we had um, Mohawk, I think. There was a girl who came from Alaska. From um, It was constantly changing. Wow. We had white kids as well, so... Yeah. How many um, years did you teach there? Okay, I was there 15 years. Okay. 15 years. And when I first started, it was back in 1994. And we had a, a wonderful principal um, who was, I described him in the first book. He was always had that big uh, clip of keys on his belt. And you could hear him as he jogged down the hallway. You could hear those keys jingling. And he just was passionate about the school. Um, that was the first year they were in the new building. And he was an excellent principal. He really, really cared. I believe he was a member of um, the St. Marie tribe. I'm not sure. Um, and at that time, we would go into the woods for ceremonies. So that's a little different from um, a lot of schools where you'd have your in-service out in the woods around a fire or walking. You know, we had a lot of freedom there. I could take, as long as you signed out, I could take kids walking, you know, out on the roads to pass through, through the reservation and move around and um, you tied into a lesson but it was a different experience, a different um, type of teaching. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then too, with smaller classes, sometimes 10, 12 kids in a class, you get to know them pretty well and you could give them a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention. That mm -hmm. they you know, um, so, and that's something I've tried to do when writing these books is to bring you into Caddy's world because she's she's really walking the path of two worlds and trying to keep her balance. You know, where does she belong? Where does she fit? And that's something she really explores in the in the third story. Because um, Irish, she and Caddy get into kind of a heated discussion and Irish is saying, well, you haven't been here that long. What would you know? And Caddy implying that she's the newbie, which she is in one sense, but her family has been there for generations and generations and generations. It's just that they recently moved back. Um, so. uh, I have a question. Does yeah. Caddy, does she have a Native American name? Um. Yeah, Caddy, it's Whirlwind Thunder. I'm not sure how to say that in Potawatomi, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, that would be a name given by uh, a medicine person through her naming ceremony. Um, I have two native names. Um, one is uh, Makoskwe, which is Little Bear Woman. And the other one I, I just keep to myself. I don't talk about. But they believe that um, your native name is the name the spirits recognize you by. What yeah. what clan does what clan does she belong to? Um, that's a very good question. Her father claims to be Eagle, um, but she would be uh, she would be from her mother, I believe. Um, you know, I never really addressed that because I did say that she and John Ray are different clans. Uh, because, of course, if you're the same clan, you couldn't have any kind of dating relationship, any kind of boy-girl relationship. Um, that's a way to establish that, that you're not related by blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When when you when you taught at the at the schools, did they do like a smudging ceremony before each uh, semester? Gosh, we did smudging every Monday. Oh, every um, Monday. We would have ceremonies in the gym Monday morning at nine o'clock. The whole school from 
the uh, daycare, preschool, right up through high school. We'd go into the gym. We'd stand in a circle. Um, any woman who was a young girl on their moon time, if they were menstruating, they were told to stand back. They could not participate in the circle because it's believed that you're um, very strong at that time. You could disrupt the ceremony. Well, disrupts kind of a bad connotation, but just that you shouldn't be participating. Um, so you'd stand back and then an elder would go around with the um, the big shell with sweet grass, cedar, sage, and smudge. And they'd have an eagle feather. He'd be assisted by one of the older boys. And then um, you'd smudge. You, For those who don't know what smudging is, you take, you waft, you take the smoke and blow it over yourself to cleanse yourself of negativity and, and give you a blessing for the week. Um, then he would give a little uh, speech to the kids and tell them he hoped they have a good week, you know, a very good week and to study hard and behave themselves and that the elders were there and cared about them. Um, I also smudged my classroom for a variety of reasons until um, stopped. But yeah, I, in fact, I just smudged in my in this place I'm living in last night. And I've been told by a good friend of mine who's um, a pipe carrier, she said, uh, do you know about putting down SEMA or putting down tobacco? Um, I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it's just loose tobacco, like loose cigarette tobacco that you buy in a pouch. And she told me to go down near flowing water at sundown because that's when the spirits are about. And you remove the tobacco with your left hand and then put it into your right and then bend down and put it on the earth and say a prayer, make an offering. Um, some people believe you should take your glasses off so that the um, creator can see who you are. You can look into your eyes and know who you are. Um, not everyone believes that, but many people do. So, and putting Sama down, putting down your tobacco is done at many different times. Um, for instance, before you go on a trip, or getting on a plane, you might put it down, you know, put it down on the earth, into the earth as an offering. Uh, the same way, if you go out gathering herbs or plants, you never take all of them. You always leave some behind. You don't, you don't wipe something out. And then you might put a little tobacco down just as a Thanksgiving or what you've taken from the earth. So those are things, and again, that's the way I was taught. I'm not sure everybody believes that way or follows that way. That's just particular to the people who taught me um, up in Hannibal. Because every every uh, tr tribe band has a little different belief. But yeah, so the, we did do a tobacco ceremonies. We had powwows um, at the school. We had ghost feasts. Um, one of the really wonderful things we did I that I don't think I'll ever forget is Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, they'd have a whole feast in the gym and they'd invite everyone for the reservation to come in. And then the teachers and staff would have to um, sit at different tables with different, you know, you didn't sit with your other teachers, you sat with the community be at a table of community members and they'd have turkey and oh my gosh wild rice corn pumpkin pie and it just was a wonderful feeling of um, fellowship and community to me it was you know really the true meaning of thanksgiving it was it was great again i don't know if those things are still going on because i haven't been there for a number of years but that's the way it was when i was back there Um, I live by the uh, Bay Mills um, Indian community, I'm a, 10 miles or so from there, and there is a tremendous amount of community, and I used to teach at the community college there, Bay Mills Community College, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, they would have drumming ceremonies, did yeah. they do the same? Oh yeah, we had, yeah, the guys would come in on the drum, 
And women cannot be on the drum. Women can stand in back, but it's only men on the drum. And I, I just love the the um, passion and the feeling that goes into that. Uh, if, there are powwows, I mean, throughout Wisconsin and Michigan, Minnesota, all summer long and into the fall. So if you've never been to a powwow, I encourage you to go to one and just um, absorb everything and learn. So, and I'm sure you will be welcomed and um, learn a lot. And the food is great. The arts are amazing. They'll have vendors selling beadwork. Um, oh, birch bark, quilling. I talked a lot about quill work in the second book. Does everyone know what that is? I wish I had an example of it. I don't. It's um because to purchase it, it can be pretty, pretty pricey. Uh is porcupine quills that are treated and dyed, and they're treated such that they become flexible, and then um they're embedded into birch bark or a real soft leather to form a pattern. And I remember one of my first years, I was out in the woods with a couple of couple of my students and one of them said, we saw a dead porcupine. And he said, oh, too bad it's too late to garner those quills for my mom. She would have liked them. So it's um a beautiful art, I think. And maybe someday I'll be able to afford to purchase a piece of quill work. The quill boxes, I know, because I've shot a lot of porcupines there in my garage and whatnot. Ooh. Oh, they, they, they've just been a nightmare for me. They chew in my back steps, they, a nightmare, but it's only right. It's only a certain time of the year because I've called, you know, different tribes in the Sault Ste. Marie and in Brimley and said, Hey, I've got this dead porcupine out here. Um, I have a shotgun. So, I mean, you know, it's a mess. Oh my gosh. Okay. It, it, it's a, and I'm not a good shot, but uh, yeah, they won't, they won't take the, the quills like in this, in the summertime. It's just not the right time. So, um, and that's about the only time that that the porkies visit me out here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I yeah. don't hog things here, you know, but it, it's really interesting. I haven't read your book. I saw it today. You know, we were really talking about the, the native culture and that, and, and, and two of your books were, were there and people were quite interested in them. So it's just, what amazes me is that this interest in Native Americans, when I went to school in the 50s, um, people didn't, they didn't want to admit that they were Natives. So yeah. it's really been quite a, quite a tremendous change in the last 50, 60 years um, where they embrace their culture now instead of shun it. Yeah, and that's, that's a really important point. And I'm glad you brought that up. I actually had a sister-in-law who was Native and she was like that. She didn't want to apply for a card. She, there were a lot of benefits she could have received and she just walked away from it. But she had grown up visiting the reservation and her dad would make fry bread and she had a lot of stories, but she, you know, it was just nothing she wanted to um, live in her daily life. Mm -hmm. But I think it has changed, which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another question. Um, if someone was interested in teaching on the reservation school, um, Ferg, my son is a middle school teacher, and uh, how would who would he contact or apply to to see, you know, apply for a job? I guess just um, you know, the state um, educational, you know, departments post listings i'm sure he's aware of those in each state he's not in michigan currently but if he if he accessed the michigan posting sites yeah it would be there or he could contact the different um reservation schools directly too and okay. tell what he's licensed in and what he's looking for and okay you know i don't know i just fell into it um i was just just one of those things that happened. I was looking for a job and my father and my best friend both told me the opening and I went up there and um, I was amazed that I had grown up in this area and didn't even know that there was a reservation an hour north of me. 
I was yeah. kind of ashamed of myself that I didn't know that. Um, and of course, now it, it's much more public with the casino yeah, and the golf course and a lot of the other things going on up there. Being at TMU, they were right adjacent to the Saginaw Chippewa tribe. Right. And he was very interested in that. And he also, um, I took a couple classes at the community college where we were living in Kalispell. And the tobacco ceremony sounds similar, familiar to something that his uh, teacher did with the class. Yeah, and tobacco is used. Um, you know, I'm not an authority. I just know what I've seen and what I've been admitted to and what I've been um, privileged to learn and share. But mm -hmm. the, your prayer ties, little piece of square piece of cloth will have tobacco in it and it's tied and prayer ties are used in a number of ways. Um, I know it's an honor when somebody comes to you and makes a request and if they present you with tobacco and you accept it, then you're, you know, honor bound to answer their request. And that was really a thrill for me the first time it happened when one of the women from the tribe, one of the elders came in and offered me tobacco and asked me to help her with something. Mm. It was a real, to me, it was a sign of respect. And again, this is just my, my um, feelings about it, my interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Anne. Sorry I'm late. Um, I was in Sault Ste. Marie today with Sharon, and I'm driving back to Crystal Falls, and we're we just passed the Saney stretch, and we're in a bar, and there's a birthday party, so it's loud. But <laughs> what I wanted to ask you was, um, you mentioned the third book. Did you talk to everybody already about the third book? Um, sort of, I got, I've written the third book. I've, I just wrote to Victor today. It's about the same length as the other two. I sent him the first, um, 10, 11 pages and I have to polish the other pages, but, um, yeah, I have, it needs, it needs a few more reworkings and revision. Um, cause I try and be really, uh, accurate and honor the culture, you know, so I have native readers who go through it and point things out to me. And that takes a while because we're just coming. Anything the... exciting that's going to happen to Katie? Can you give us any sneak peek? Um, yeah, she comes more into her own. And she be... and then the romance heats up a little bit with John Ray. Um, I would say she shows more maturity. Uh, and she discovers a lot more about her culture that she didn't know. And she has a real problem with her temper with her anger that's resurfaces again. And that has to deal with the disappearance of her mother. We don't really know what happened to her mother. And um, I, I did say that that is something I think about a lot because a couple of my students too that I know of are now in that group of missing indigenous women and it's a real heartache. So maybe that happened to her mother, maybe, maybe not. So. Well, that will be, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. And um, for those of you UP authors out there that donated books, because I think Victor asked for some donated books for the librarians conference. The, we were there, the librarians seemed to really enjoy getting their bags of books. So I wanted to say thank you to those, because I know some of you, Hilton and um, Anne and some others did donate. So thank you very much. And thank you for being such an amazing librarian. Well, yeah, it's been a busy day today. I'm wearing my, this, we may, I don't know if you can see this, but this is a solar system necklace. Oh. We made the, I taught people how to make them today. So, oh. and, and then I had to try to hurry up and get on this Zoom and we were nowhere near anything. And, <laughs> and where we are now isn't much either, but we're here. So but You're in a bar um, celebrating someone's birthday. So. Yeah. But I'm I'm very excited. I always I do like your books, and I'm glad that you there. I what I had one of my young adult book clubs read your first book, and they really enjoy. It was the only book that year that all the kids agreed on that they liked. So they're they're neat because if you haven't read Anne's books yet, you should. They're short, and they're and they've got everything in them. There's romance and adventure and the native culture and. 
I just think you do a really great job, but I'm always looking forward to reading more of your books. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. As retired English teachers, we, <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing I try and keep in my mind when I'm writing is to make it um, appropriate for a teacher to use in the classroom because states, I know Wisconsin and Michigan mandate units to be taught about native culture. And so many of the books until fairly recently dealt with Southwest tribes and not really with the woodland tribes of our area. And I think that's starting to change, which is great. But um, I want something a teacher could use too. So it's kind of dual purpose. Yeah. I don't know if um, you noticed on the cover of this, it's kind of, you can see the blue jay is up here. He's kind of peeking over and here's the ship. And then there's Caddy and John Ray. Um, kind of under the tree, uh, figuring things out. And the artist said the uh, the colors are changing in their faces because they're changing and they're curious and discovering new things. And here is the depiction of the birch bark box. And I told Victor, I did enter this in the New Mexico, Arizona book of the year because the artist was from um is from Albuquerque and I am a finalist in the juvenile category, which is a newly created category. So that's that's pretty exciting. The last one, the first book won in their multicultural category back when it came out. So and both of these books are state history award winners from the State Historical Society. And the first one was a Midwest Book Award winner. So pretty proud of that since my background is as a journalist I started out as a reporter and I still miss being in the newsroom of a daily newspaper but unfortunately our daily newspaper has gone the way of many daily newspapers and it's three days a week and um not quite the staff it used to have so so are any more questions about um I have sort of a question or a comment. I like the way that you use the, the animal to be the voice of the spirits. Is that something that comes from traditional lore or where did that come from? You know, I'm, um, I've always felt that, I've always felt an affinity with birds. Are you talking about the blue jay? Yeah. Yeah, I've always felt very close to blue jays um the birds i look at the sky often and i think the birds are sending us messages uh i think that's just me um bears also i just feel really this strong connection to bears um but yeah natives natives are very tied in with that there was a, a lovely man uh who was the fire keeper when i was up there wally bear and he would come into my room and he'd say it's going to be an early winter and it's going to be a cold one. Animals have a lot of fur. Yeah, it's early, you know, and he'd come in fairly often and give me, you know, weather reports based on what he observed from the animals. So I, I think some of it is cultural. Some of it is your personal, um, how you are as a person, you know, if you feel like I'm not a dog person, I'm not a cat person. Sorry, Victor. <laughs> I am. <laughs> My son and daughter-in-law have two cats. My granddaughter refers to the black cat as her brother. Um, they're definitely cat people. But I just really like birds. And I like studying them as they fly around. And, you know, going up to Marquette on Saturday, I noticed um, an eagle perched on the top of a tree. Well, he was perched, so his wings weren't spread. And one thing I was taught is you look at what side of the road he's on, what direction he's facing, because that will tell you a message. And yeah, there's a book called Animal Speak that I referred to. I think a lot of people use that book. Um, you can learn more about the messages from, from the animals. I mean, no, they don't talk to us, but sometimes you can intuit the way you do with your dog or your cat, I think. I was I wasn't sure whether you're drawing from specific native legends or or you know saga kind of thing. 
um, you know, it's it's a different um, the way of thinking that felt very comfortable for me. I, I know one day in my classroom, I had the windows open and uh, a wind came up and papers blew around. And the kids looked at each other and said, oh, the spirits. You know, it just and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of lore and I, I, I'm not going to go into that, um, but there's a lot of books out about that and you can study it and learn. Anyone have any final questions before we sign off tonight? I just wanted to say, Anne, the, you were talking about a, a piece of um, pull work. Let's see, where's my... Yes. Uh, oh, and then like those are the like porcupine quills that you yeah. use. Like, oh, do you have to see over my the thing? Oh. So yeah. those are like the and have like a little yeah. stack of them. I just am I just admire people who can do craft work. They're true <laughs> artists. True so artists. I I made this and it's on Birch Park um oh. a couple of years ago at a, a thing at the Regional History Center here where uh, a lady from, uh, I think it was Sault Ste. Marie tribe, uh, came in and taught a workshop on how to do quilling and stuff. So oh, lucky. You, you, were, you were asking for an example and it's like, hey, I've got one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like little birch bark, you know, little pieces of birch bark. Yeah. And then just... Anyway, that is all. That's all I wanted to say. It's a lot of fun to narrate. Thank you. And, oh. and my <laughs> Potawatomi pronunciation has gotten much better. Much better. It's very good. Very good. Well, I I I just love this book club. It drove me right to the bar, Victor. I'm a drink on me. Old mother and the 76 year old mother yes but um and i wish i could have cut the beginning but brandy taped it so i'll catch what i missed and i want to thank you all for coming on tonight i know now next month we're doing poetry oh good and the book is a little bit hard to get so but not impossible so tomorrow on my email i'll tell you all how to order it if you'd like to order a copy if you can't get it at your library or or anything like that but and it's going to be fun because next month, Victor, we have, is it three of the poets are going to be on the talk? No, no, no. It's five. They're five. multiplying, uh, including the UP Poet Laureate. Be yeah, Beverly oh, Mathieu. UP Poet Laureate. So. Yeah. So that'll be great. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Victor. And I will be emailing everybody tomorrow with um, some updates. And yes, we'll see you in a month. And I'll say thank you in Potawatomi, Megwitch. You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com.